Welcome to Change the Narrative. I'm your host, J.D. Fuller, an African-American, licensed psychotherapist, professor, diversity coach, consultant, and author. We talk about the isms. We talk about the phobias, anything that marginalizes and oppresses. Everything we are not and everything we are is because of fear. Through a mental health lens, we'll have difficult conversations with celebrity guests, political activists, and everyone in between. Our mind will tell us whatever we want to believe, but the truth lives in the body, and that's where change occurs. Are you ready to change the narrative? John Graham is an author that has written a book to speak for those who have been without a voice throughout their professional career. Plantation Theory, The Black Professional's Struggle Between Freedom and Security, showcases the realities that countless black corporate professionals face despite best efforts to prove their worthiness of opportunity. As a content marketer, John has found his purpose is unlocking the hidden potential of authenticity and ensuring that the right message finds the right audience at the right time on the right platform. John self-identifies as he, him, black man, husband, father, spiritualist, creative, and fraternal brother. He is all of that and more. Please welcome John Graham to CTN with J.D. Fuller. John, thank you so much for being willing to come on today. And by the way, you made it so easy. Uh, I wish every guest made it as easy as you did. So flexible. <laughs> so <laughs> I just want to start uh, I, I might have to diva it up then. Sorry. Yeah, I might no. have to be more of a diva now. It's telling me. <laughs> no, please. No, please pleasure. don't. Please don't. <laughs> Thank so, you for having me. Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. My honor, indeed. Okay, so let's get right into it. So is it, is it fair to say that you had an affluent upbringing and you were educated in predominantly white spaces as a black kid? Is that fair to say? Absolutely fair to say. I would think so affluent is probably questionable. I was, I was definitely not broke. <laughs> and depending on if I lived with my father or my mother, then you know, the income would, would sway differently. But yes, certainly middle to upper middle class. You know, that happens yeah. so often with kids. I hear that so frequently. Like when I live with my mother, I'm poor. When I live <laughs> with my father, I'm wealthy. <laughs> that is a tough we did thing. All right. <laughs> That's a tough thing to navigate. Interesting navigate. dynamic there. Yeah. yeah a whole nother conversation. Absolutely. Sure, we'll save yeah. that for another show. So let's yeah. talk about how being educated in white spaces informed your journey. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you certainly learned to, well, let me just say this. I lived in nine different states before undergrad. By the time I was ready to go to school, I knew I was going to go to an HBCU and not only an HBCU, the oldest degree granting HBCU, Lincoln University, because my parents went there, aunts, uncles, cousins, and so forth. So only school I applied to. But the prior experiences of being in predominantly white spaces where you're one of maybe a handful of, of black students in a school that's predominantly white, the questions you get, the invites or the non-invites you get to social events, being picked for teams or not, so forth, um, all of that shapes your your worldview and your perspective. It, it impacts your confidence, your self-esteem, your self-awareness mm -hmm. of who you are in the world. And so, you know, all of those experiences helped obviously to shape me and be adaptable. Uh, and I think that's probably the biggest impact is to be able to walk into any room and be adaptable and be comfortable in uh, seemingly uncomfortable spaces. You know, one of the things that really stands out for me that you said is having, and this is, this is something that I'm big on right now. I work in an independent school, international school, and I'm always big on inviting kids who have um, grown up academically in this space to consider HBCUs for that very reason. I think the reason your adaptability was, was accelerated is because you had the balance of those experiences. 
That's right. That's right. And, and I think, you know, if you've grown up in predominantly suburban, white suburban, you know, communities pre-undergrad, then an H- and as a Black student, then an HBCU can not only give you that grounding of culture and the release of not having to don the mask mm. in, in all aspects and all times of day, but also you're in an environment where your excellence is an expectation and your failures aren't a reflection on your entire race. Damn, I'm a, so, wait, wait, brother, wait, wait. I'm going to yeah. need you to say that again. <laughs> okay, that, that, is, that is such fire. I'm going to need you to word. say that again. Go ahead, go for it. I appreciate that. No, indeed. I mean, you're in an environment where your excellence is an expectation and your failures are not a reflection on your entire race. Mm. So you truly get to be an individual and meritocracy might actually have application in your daily lived experience Mm. for what for some might be the first time. This isn't the first academic environment I've been in, but I've heard before. How do you, you know, back then we were using the word minority, not using that anymore. But, (laughs) you know, they, they used to say, you know, how do you make sure minority kids are working at their full potential. And that's just so relevant yeah. with what you're saying because you're judging me based on a Eurocentric lens of what that's excellent right. is right. and that it's so invalidating and invisibilizing. So it's key to understand your audience, 100%. you know, within the context of what? the whole picture. Couldn't agree more. It, it, you, you always have to question what standard am I being measured against? Mm-hmm. And so, to one's full potential, how would you know if the construct that you're that you're measuring me by doesn't even account for the cultural nuance, history, ways in which we learn, develop relationships, and so forth? So can you truly reach one's full potential if you're not in an environment that's conducive mm-hmm. to extracting it? You know, today there was a conversation. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you completely. Today there was a conversation about average, you know, what is average and just what a sort of a fallacy average is. And if you add the cultural component, mm-hmm. it's even more of a fallacy. Yeah, it's a sliding scale, I would say. There I you mean, go. You know, At best. Mediocrity, <laughs> right, because mediocrity, especially as you get into corporate spaces, is the default standard mm-hmm. for the power dominant culture. What we would see is mediocre, right? This is why you have people who... You know, would say, well, I'm clearly smarter than my manager. I should be in that role, but yet I'm reporting to somebody that I actually trained who's been here less time than me is not as qualified as me. Well, there's other measures by which leadership is defined. And it's not your work output most times. You know, you're making me go off script here. And it's just because what you're saying is so on point. And so I'm going to venture to say, just based on what we're both talking about, you know, this is the... This, this is a variable. I will not say it's the catalyst, but it is a variable for white male anger. Mm. This is a variable for white male anger. Mm-hmm. The recognition, mm-hmm. Say more. Well, the recognition of being mediocre and not really having the skill set to compete adequately in a world that you have been convinced is made for you. I mean, that must be like... <laughs> mm. Well, why, why would you need to perform at peak excellence when mediocrity leads those who are excellent? Right. And the, the construct was designed to, to extract maximum effort and output from a subclass mm-hmm. by, by default. Right. And so if you don't have to exert the energy and showcase and, and be measured because you are the standard, then an excellent isn't something you have to be. It's not in your, your programming. It's not in your code. So right. let's go a little bit deeper yeah. or venture, venture to question. When do you think? 
that switch flips from, I don't really have to try that hard to, damn, I'm really not all that. And I'm really pissed about it. <laughs> you know, I, that's a great question. I, I don't know that I've ever seen it flip. Mm. But it, and, and the reason being is because it, it to have the, the aha moment that, wait, I'm not as good as my title or my, my salary or my, my, you know, my status or position in this organization would lead me to believe no one in those positions would ever admit that, mm -hmm. right? Because it, it's, it's a point of insecurity. Mm. And the benefit of being in the power dominant culture is your insecurities are padded by default of the construct, right? You're shielded from your insecurity. You don't talk about race and the things that would be deemed impolite because that's just not what you do. That's not, that's untoward. It's, it's improper, mm -hmm. you know? And so to have a realization or aha that yes, I'm not as good as I am being told I am by, by all the other metrics would, I would, I believe in what I see ultimately it, it, further entrenches them in the insecurity to cover it up, mm. which comes in way it expresses itself in fragility responses, mm. denial. No, that's not me or, you know, or even rage, right? Mm. Whether physical or psychological. That is yeah. so deep. We, I, we could, we could, we could dig a hole with where we are right now. We, I'm here all week. And we, <laughs> and, I'm here all week. Hey, and we still have further to go. So I'm going to shift gears a little bit, but that was, that was amazing. Right. Yeah. I love how your mind works. It's, yeah. it's so, your, your mind's so good. I love that. I, I love that. I live for this stuff. Okay. So there is a belief that the global majority is best educated in white spaces. Which, what's your belief? <laughs> What do you think about that? Educated. Oof. So I, I have very deep conversations about the nature of education. And I think what we oftentimes conflate is education and learning. And education is simply an indoctrination method done, you know, in civil societies to bring the youth into adulthood under certain world views, beliefs, practices, ideologies, mm -hmm. and so forth. So as to have conformity across the masses, I mean, you know, that applied to labor outputs. So education in white spaces, sure. What that does is it reduces the otherness, brings you into more assimilated conformity so as to fall in line and propagate status quo. So if you attend a predominantly white institution, for instance, as a black student and you graduate, and you feel like I've been programmed to see the world through the eyes of a cisgendered, able-bodied white man. Well, that, that's the intent. Mm. So that the world beliefs, beliefs, ideals, views, and status quo can now be replicated or propagated. So best educated for whose outcome? Right? Who is the beneficiary of the education? That's where you have to ask the question. I love it because my take on that is not popular. So I love that you said it in the way in which you did, because that's amazing. <laughs> We're probably on the same page that yeah. <laughs> the exact same paragraph. Okay. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so how and when did you discover your why? Well, so that's a, that's a tremendous question. Thank you. I've had multiple whys mm. over time. And I think as you evolve your why, should evolve. I discovered that I am a growth seeking being 
who is intent on bridging gaps and communicating culture and authenticity unapologetically, I'd say probably closer to the beginning of my, my corporate career. So we're, so we're pushing probably close to 20, maybe 15 years ago. And it was really through self-discovery, um, you know, coming into knowledge of, you know, Simon Sinek, but also into, you know, understanding of how to manifest things and really align what it is I'm seeking to do with, with the right conversations, being always being open to new relationships and following the breadcrumbs as they're laid forth. So I discovered my why several times, my why has evolved even in the past five years and wanting to expand and merge the worlds of employer brand and diversity, equity, and inclusion so that, you know, large organizations don't sell false narratives to attract talent, uh, you know, and, and really approve lived experiences for marginalized talent within corporate spaces. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's a constant effort of rediscovery and acknowledgement and then evaluation. You know, I, I, I love that because I think people think you learn, you're learned up and you're done, you know, and, and that, that's such <laughs> Learning a fallacy. complete. Yeah, check it off. And it's such a fallacy. So yeah. it is evolution. So I, I, you know, I love the idea that the, the why is evolving. That's great. Appreciate that. I believe that racial identity is at the core of our understanding for so many other things. I don't think racial identity development <laughs> education and conversations are centered enough in all spaces. How do you make sense out of that? Hmm. Well, I, I think you're right in the American construct, mm. for sure, okay, uh, societal construct, construct, right? So not to say that race doesn't play a part globally, because there is no corner of the earth that hasn't been touched by colonialism. Right. However, in the American construct, which is a peculiar institution unto itself, race is at the forefront it, it's it defines who you are before you even open your mouth thank you it, um <laughs> it creates it create barriers both seen and unseen just by virtue of your name and how it's <laughs> how you state your name or how it's spelled so i you know and it's designed it was designed right race is a concept and a construct was designed specifically to easily identify the subclass of, of this country. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as a historian and somebody who avidly likes to connect the dots between history and our modern day lived experience, when you understand how race will even invented and why it was invented, then you, you start to understand how much more we have in common with those who aren't at a certain class level. Mm -hmm. Then, and, and most will be led to believe, but it's by virtue of that division that we don't unify. And so I say all that to say it, the education about race and, and even the active suppression of that education, which we're seeing more and more in headlines today, I think is seeking to keep people from having an honest conversation about the historical, right? So we talked about insecurity. If you shine a light on past transgressions and how those transgressions manifest today, then somebody might have to be accountable and accountability isn't aligned with the power dominant structure. So I think we're, while we've taken a few steps forward in being, in being able to have these conversations openly, 
you're seeing a very strong attempt at regression mm -hmm. so as to protect the status quo. I agree with you completely, 100%. And I'm, and I'm adding just another, I don't know, just like sort of a side angle, which is, you know, white people have been led to believe yeah. for so long that they don't have a racial identity. And, you know, and that, sure. that doesn't benefit them. <clears throat> and so, you know, this mm. idea that white people are absent of culture and identity is a protector. It's a veil. <laughs> it, it protects the fragility and the possibilities. And so to think about, For sure. we all have identities and let's explore how our identities have evolved creates an opportunity. It facilitates yeah. a conversation, but you don't get to have that if you don't have any of that and you don't have to be you yeah. know, aware of it. So I, I, I would just say what you said and. Well, it's, it's a beautiful addendum because to, to, to just that, but you know, it's funny when, when you hear white people say people of color, and then I say, well, is it white a color? Mm -hmm. And they're like, hmm. <laughs> but, but even in the, in the implicit assumption that white isn't even a color right. that needs to be acknowledged yes. is further evidence that the construct was designed to hide their own privilege yes. from them. So that I always end up asking them a question like, well, how do you explain water to a fish? <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, mm, well, I'm, you get, they whack poetic about precipitation and molecules and wetness. And I'm like, no, 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 because fish have no concept. You need contrast. Mm. You need dry land mm. to explain water to a fish. And so until you get contrast to whiteness, right, when you step out of homogenous environments and you go to places where you're the other, mm. well, now you'll start to understand what whiteness is and is not. But most people don't actively seek out discomfort. They do so. not actively seek out discomfort. I agree with you 110%. <laughs> no, no. I, just, I, love, I love your language. It's both similar and, and different from mine. And so it's just such a nice, like, poetic dance of points of view. I really yeah. value that. Love oh, it. Gumbo. Okay. okay. Talk about that. So I, I want I want to give you kudos because in my work, you know, I'm an old timer. I've been around a minute on the front line for many, many years. And at this point, loving all of the younger people doing what they're doing. And so I was reflecting as I was doing research about you. And I was like, you know, you know, in my work as an anti-racist consultant, I have shied away in my later years of doing this work in corporate spaces for many years now. As you phrased it, how do you help global companies uncover who they are at the core? I didn't have the, I didn't have the stamina mm. for that. So I'm wondering if you can talk about how you do that. Yeah, that's a great. I asked myself that question then. <laughs> how do I do this? Why? Why do why? I keep doing it? You know, it's interesting. I've had, uh, again, points of evolution where your immediate connection to the outcome is so strong and visceral that you want to get in there and just change everything, mm. right? And 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 then you have to have that conversation with yourself and and be reminded that you're not by yourself going to end racism and reverse 600 plus years of colonial construct. What I've landed on is I've carved out a space that that previously wasn't inhabited in in, in a sense, but I developed something unique and cutting edge to really assess and quantify our lived experiences in these spaces in a way that had never been done before. And then take those companies that are willing to be brave and hear the reality and then give them perspective on how they can now approach meaningfully 
substantial change in the daily lived experiences. And so that's that's how I keep the sanity and the mental health at you know at ease. I've become a better and more discerning consultant mm. in identifying which companies are not even interested in su- substantial or sustainable change versus committed to just activities and initiatives. Yes. And those are the ones where I'm like, okay, I know I know you need to start somewhere, but I'm not your beginning right. point, right? Mm-hmm. I have plenty of people mm-hmm. in the network who are interested in getting you off the ground from zero to point five. Right. Cool. I want to I want to get us to the point of uh, a point that we haven't arrived at yet, which is a point of actual accountability. Mm. Right? So you've done all the things. You've done the the training. You made the commitments. You've got the education and curriculum. Brought in the speakers. You've got ERGs. Cool. But who gets fired if this shit doesn't work? That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and and what structural supports are you going to put into? manage your behavioral expectations mm. or behavioral change expectations and what are the repercussions if your middle layer doesn't fall in line mm. or if your executive peers or if your direct report ceo don't bring forth this agenda mm-hmm. then what and that no no companies arrived there yet so i'm i'm clear and i'm comfortable with what i'm able to make an impact on in the now and knowing shoot we've only been quote unquote free or free ish for 58 years mm-hmm. in the arc of time we're up against 600 years of a construct so in 58 we just got here mm-hmm. to even be able to have this conversation so i'm i know it's not going to end with me i think that that is so smart that you focused on quantifying because that's that's corporate language as a therapist and an you know an empath to a fault getting to that quantitative mm. place wasn't a place that I can arrive at comfortably. So the emotionality sure. drove the mission and that's what exhausted <laughs> the mission, you know, cause it is a matter of, I believe that mm-hmm. 100% and good on you for recognizing that and, and choosing the path of not least resistance, but more significant impact. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, cause you can't, you can't do it if you're fucked out emotionally, this is, this is emotional. This is human work. Yeah, it's, this it's, is humanity work. It's labor. <clears throat> it's labor. It's truly labor of the highest order, <laughs> mentally for sure Absolutely. and emotionally. And I love. And I also love that you mentioned mental health because it is all connected. And obviously, the only way you can truly change the narrative is internally. You know, the micro informs the macro. So if you're not doing the internal 100%. work, it's not going to feed into what you say you want. So I love that you connected those two. You know what? Here's the thing, That's right. right? I'm already yeah. so into what you're saying. I already know that I need to turn this into two shows. I already know that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here for it. Okay. I already know that. So oh, I've learned at Go this down. point, I'm just going to close out this show and say, you know, come back, okay. come back for more because we haven't even gotten to the book yet. So that that's in the next show, we're going to get into the book, but this, this has been amazing and I can't wait to get started as soon as we end this. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Love the conversation. I'll be back. Please be sure to like subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts and also leave us a review. Let us know what you think. Thank you for listening to change the narrative with JD Fuller.